Welcome to the most useful information podcast. Uh, I'm here with Bella. How's it going, Bella? Um, it's going well. I realized that as you said, hey, I waved, but it's a podcast and there's no <laughs> way to communicate <laughs> a wave except by saying hello. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll forgive you, the fans. Great. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about Cousins by Aurori, Aurora Venturini, um, I hope I said that right, who's an Argentinian writer who lived from 1922 to 2015. I was looking her up today and, like uh, on Wikipedia, <laughs> and this seems to be like the last book she ever wrote, uh, but the first translated into English. And uh, I guess maybe to start things off, I'm just, how did you, I'd never heard of this book before you mentioned it. How did you hear about it? I am a fan of Mariana Enriquez, uh, Enriquez, and she wrote the introduction um, to the book. And in her introduction, she describes um, reading it for a prize um and coming across it in the pile um uh and being really sh uh taken with it um and so i was like oh if uh mariana enriquez like recommends it i'll read it <laughs> um and so yeah that's and then uh the uh i i do uh pay attention to blurbs on the covers of books um I, I kind of think of them as like little horoscopes uh, and uh, Catherine Lacey um, and uh, Alexandra Kleeman also recommended it. So, yeah, I also pay attention to uh, blurbs and I had never, well, I've heard of Alexandra Kleeman, but the, the blurb on the cover says a novel of depraved genius. Mm -hmm. And uh, that made it sound like uh, a fun book. Uh, I like anything to praise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know um, that from your recommendations. <laughs> uh, genius, I could take or leave, but to praise. Um, also, I read the introduction and it made me very excited for this book because it sounded like bonkers, kind of. Um, I guess I'll give a quick plot summary, kind of. Yeah. Um, which is, it's a, now I'm forgetting the narrator's name. I'm so bad at this. Uh, um, there's a narrator, Yuna, who is, uh, has some developmental disability. It's kind of unclear specifically what it is, but she struggles with language, I think, specifically. She called um, a half-wit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot of terms in here. I'd be uncomfortable. Um, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, and he, her, he has a sister named Bettina, who is also mentally and physically disabled, um, much more severely than Yuna is. Um, and he refers to their family as like a family of, of freaks. Um, and there's Cousins, which is the title of the book, Petra and Farina, and Petra ends up being kind of Yuna's closest friend. Um, Confidant and advisor. Yeah, partner in crime. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Petra has dwarfism, would probably be the most polite way to say it. Yeah. Um, and she's also a uh, successful sex worker or uh, prostitute. And uh, there's some ants as well. But the, so those are kind of the characters. And I feel like, I kind of feel like their characteristics are as much of like as important as the plot, kind of, or something. I don't know. Yeah. But the, um, Yuna 
is writing this book in short little chapters. She's disgusted by almost everything that she encounters, including her, her sister who sort of like defecates while eating. So they make a special chair for her so she can like go to the bathroom while eating and it disgusts her. Um, Yuna is a talented artist. Um, she goes to an art school and she paints a lot on cardboard and a professor takes a particular interest in her and she actually becomes a successful artist and is able to pay for a lot of um, her family's needs. Uh, the professor kind of is like her manager, but ends up marrying her sister, Bettina. And I should say, I don't care about spoilers, so I'm just going to say oh, basically yeah. everything. You kind of have to. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Karina uh, is raped by a neighbor farmer and gets pregnant, has an illegal abortion that she dies from. And Petra seeks out revenge on this farmer um, by seducing him and then cutting off his genitals and sticking them in his mouth. Uh, and that is sort of the, like, I feel like that act sort of bonds Yuna and Petra together. Yuna sort of um, keeps quiet about it um, for Petra's sake. And from from there, they kind of become thick as thieves, I think. Uh, and I feel like there's other events of the plot, but I'm kind of forgetting them. Uh, we can mention them as we go along. But Bella, I'm dying to know, what do you think of this book? Um, I, I, well, I mentioned to you uh, via text um, that I liked the book, um, but maybe it didn't live up to uh, my expectations. And I think that this is uh, in part my own fault because I was like, oh, Yes, I read the depraved genius note. I was like, um, and I, after reading the introduction, um, so I I didn't love it, but I think that that's mostly um, because uh, I I I it was just really sad. Um, it was ultimately an incredibly sad tale. So some of the um, themes are definitely like. Um, uh, the sexual abuse of women, particularly like young women. The author says that this is uh, largely autobiographical, but she kind of like um, says that it's, it, she says it in such a way almost with a wink. And most things in the book kind of uh, feel like they're said with a wink because um, it's a very funny book. Um, so it was hard for, it was hard for me to negotiate like the devastation, the the devastating lives that these young women experience. Um, and it's ultimately handled with like humor, uh, and brevity, uh, and, um, uh, a lot of symbolism. Uh, and I found it hard kind of going between these different worlds, which is probably just like, um, ultimately what unit experienced and what kind of led to like this, uh, over, over the course of the book, she kind of like gets broken down. It's like about, uh, by the end she's, she's detached from Petra. Um, she's, her mother has passed away. Um, and she's off living in her own apartment, um, well cared for, um, but essentially totally alone. Um, and you know, she is like comfortable in terms of her life, but uh, her soul is broken. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what I thought about the book. It's, that is not super coherent, but those are my thoughts. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. I agree that it's sad and what, well, obviously it's sad. It's like <laughs> not something that needs agreeing with. <laughs> um, but what, it felt, I actually wrote down, I have notes written in pencil, so they're kind of hard to read, uh, like cynical. Like, you, you're right, Yuna is like alienated from Petra and also from Bettina. 
um, who she kind of does, let's see, this is important to the story, but Tina gets impregnated by the professor um, and Yuna realizes it and forces, like sort of manipulates the situation and everything to force the professor to marry Bettina to make sure that she's like taken care of and and everything. Um, and it's kind of like, I feel like it's much too strong to call it a heroic act, but she's trying to do like the best thing that she can do for for the situation. Um, and after that, oh. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, earlier in the book and it's important. So she knows that that's important. So she's kind of like trying to act it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, she doesn't want a repeat of Karina's experience of uh, abortion and death yes. and, and that kind of thing. Um, but once that's done, she just wants nothing to do with the professor or Bettina. Yeah. Um, and so she, so she is like, and she's wealthy because of her, or she's at least well off because of her painting. Mm -hmm. And so she's completely isolated and she seems fine with it. Like, like that's what I found like very sad. Yeah. Is, like she doesn't miss, miss these people at all, even though she's like, they've helped her and she's helped them. Mm -hmm. it, it seems to like mean nothing yeah. to her. Um, and so it felt like, like the book felt kind of mean spirited yeah. to me like it wasn't just these tragic things happening to these tragic women it, it was like um i don't know the world of the book is one in which no one really cares for each other or is connected to one another yeah. and that's kind of depressing it's a depress it's a depressing place to like exist in for 200 pages or whatever yeah and I th I think m mean mean kind of doesn't mean t mean kind of doesn't quite get at the tone for me though though I I agree with you and and um uh Yuna I think would describe herself as mean and some of the um behavior uh, that she exhibits towards her sister. Um, and I say that in kind of a clinical way, cause it's like when they're children and it does feel like when she's described, when she's describing what she's doing to her sister, um, it, there almost is kind of a remove from it, um, because she's able to be so, uh, blunt about bullying and tormenting, um, her sister who has like a substantially reduced capacity from her, um, even though, you know, she also identifies with her sister, um, in part because of their family, but, uh, because they're both freaks because they're both, um, as, as she describes herself and they're both handicapped is what she says. Um, so she's like, she's very mean. Some of the things that she does to her sister, um, are like, she shoves, uh, food in her eye, like when she's feeding her and she like, she does its, um, because she doesn't like her, um, because she resents her, uh, her physical, uh, disabilities and, um, the pooping at the dinner table and the farts and all this, she resents her. And so she's mean to her out of resentment. And then later on in the book, um, as they grow or as Yuna grows, um, and Bettina does too, uh, she ends up replacing, um, the chair, uh, that Bettina sat in, um, and she makes her a really beautiful ornate one. Um, she paints it with the shadows that she says that, that come from her brain that earn her lots of money, um, when she paints them on canvases and cardboard. Um, and Bettina loves her chair. She's so happy. And then, um, but when, uh, you know, first goes to give Bettina the chair. Bettina's afraid of her because of how she behaved, um, when she was younger. Um, and so you get this, like this very, uh, nice story arc, as they say, where you go, she goes from hating the chair to making her a really beautiful chair. Um, and that was, that was very sweet. Um, and yeah, and, uh, and, and, and then she, yeah, she is alienated from her sister, like you said, and, and I agree with your analysis that it's, 
that she doesn't long for her. She doesn't want her. Her sister actually takes on, after she marries um, the professor, she takes on a different name. She becomes the wife. And there's like a several part uh, clauses uh, at different parts where she's like, the wife, you know who I mean. Um, <laughs> and she's she's referencing her sister. And it's, it's, it's not so much that, yeah, maybe it's like the world is mean. Um, and she actually becomes more alienated from the world by the end. And so it's not so much in the end that she's mean. It's just that she has no place within it. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's what I'm like. I do think the world is mean more than um, Yuna is like a particularly mean person. Even like, though she is uh, at certain points. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you were to hold her side by side to a bunch of like most of the other characters, <laughs> like she wouldn't seem like she wouldn't seem like that much more mean necessarily. Um, but I mean, on the seventh page, it says, uh, but anything goes in this filthy world of ours. So there's no use feeling too sorry for anyone or anything. And I feel like that kind of describes the whole Yeah, book. that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the world is filthy and cruel. Uh, and everything in it disgusts Una. I was trying to mark all the different things that disgusted her. Oh, it's like everything. Yeah. <laughs> Even flowers. Uh, Notice how flowers disgust her? Yeah, I I marked I was looking through this before we talked and I marked a passage about that was ostensibly about flowers and how like how you can't like there's something like flowers being disgusting and yeah. but it, it seems it could equally be like people or whatever. <laughs> like anything on earth could have been this disgusting. I was really yeah, I was really uh struck because it was um oh yeah, here it is. When flowers get angry, they waggle their pistols and wig and wrinkle. Their yeah, that's exactly. Which it. look like slippery, poisonous creatures. Their appearance changes. They're not fully vegetable or animal, more like evil gnomes or nymphs. And not because they want to be, but because certain human behaviors make them disgusted and angry, and they already suffer enough when they've picked when they're picked and taken to the floors without realizing that they're. That their pollen, when the wind blows and the pollen falls on fertile ground, little plants are born like the plants that gave them their grace and color, which I think is also just like a synopsis of the book, just using flowers and uh, for pe substituting flowers for people. Oh. Yeah, I, I had this, I marked, that's the <laughs> passage I was thinking of. I thought, I thought the exact same thing. Um, it's like the worldview of the book is, is so. Uh, disgusted and like cruel I don't know it's like um it's hard for me to like get into it kind yeah. of like I feel like I have can have like a dark sense of humor and find like terrible things pretty pretty funny um but I <laughs> but my overarching worldview isn't so dark I think whereas this book it's like there's a dark humor to it but the overarching worldview is also extremely dark yeah uh it's like all it's all consuming and like my experience reading it i actually read probably i don't know 60 or 90 pages in it in one yeah. sitting and quite enjoyed yeah. it and then i set it i set it down and didn't want i didn't pick it up again for like two or three days like i had become bored or like i have I don't know. The idea of it was just like, I don't want to go back there. Or like, I, I don't, I, I didn't think of it at the time as like disliking the book or anything. Mm -hmm. I was just like, uh, there's other things I can do. I don't want to read yeah. that. I don't read it. Um, and so then when I finished it, I was like, well, that was fine. And then when you texted that you didn't love the book, I, it, I was like, yeah, I guess I didn't either. Like, <laughs> I liked the first 60 pages or so. And then, the rest of it I didn't want to read. Yeah, book or like it's broken up into two parts, I think. And basically part one is uh, ends on page 59. Um, and yeah, uh, and then it's like the, the second part and the, the first book, the, the first part is um, 
it covered the majority of the the plot summary that you gave um where it goes through um Karina's death and kind of like the break the dissolution of their their family in in the wake of um her death other people die in the first part too but it's mostly the cousin's death that matters <laughs> um yeah I'll, I'll just say every so many people die in this book it's wild <laughs> yeah uh i mean but there's no point feeling too sorry for any of them no and okay so maybe maybe the um the most interesting part of the book for me um was it was the symbolism um and since Yuna is a painter um and we actually we get several descriptions not long but like detailed enough that I at least got a mental image of what the painting uh looked like or an impression of it um since she is a painter um and she does have this really unique um way of seeing the world um maybe we could talk about the symbolism in the book or if you thought there was symbolism that's maybe a better question uh this is what I read um I, gosh, I don't know that I, I would love to hear what you think of the symbolism. I don't know that I, I caught a lot of it or maybe like, what are you referring to when you mentioned the symbolism? Oh, there were just like, there were lots of things. There was the sheet, the inner sheet, um, that she actually sees trailing behind, um, okay. and, and the soul yeah, is that like, exactly. She, and yeah. it's the, thing yeah. she, she seems to actually see. Um, and that's why I asked like, Oh, maybe this isn't symbolism. And so I'll just describe what it is. Um, and then kind of like, uh, we can go from there. So early in the book, when they're kids, um, Unite makes a lot of, uh, doesn't understand, uh, colloquialisms, um, and just generally seems to have difficulty with cause and effect. Uh, possibly because of um, her cognitive uh, disability, but also just maybe because her mom is kind of neglectful <laughs> and doesn't uh, and doesn't talk to her uh, about things and uh, doesn't really try and uh, take part in her education or nurturing very much, which is interesting because her mom's a teacher. Um, uh, but so Yuna's like trying to make sense of the world and as she's uh, narrating uh, what the world looks like to her, she uh, she makes an assumption about what the soul is and she believes that it's uh, like an inner sheet, um, like a, a bed sheet that can be like, that's white and can be starched um, and she believes it to be this physical thing um, in part because she can see a white sheet hanging out from her sister's uh, wheelchair, like behind her. Um, and the sheet grows longer and longer and it trails behind her. And she thinks of uh, that as her sister's like soul being exposed um, more and more to the world. Um, and that happens as her sister gets older. Um, and then later on uh, in the book, after her professor um, from the art school has moved in with her family and is like kind of taking care of all of them. She seems to have a premonition um, one day seeing her professor in her, in her uh, like daydream, she sees her professor pushing her sister uh, in a stroller, but her sister is small um, and the sheet is trailing long behind them, but the sheet is uh, red with menstrual blood. Um, and that doesn't really happen, but she, yeah, she sees it in her brain. Um, and then later on you find out that, uh, her sister, um, is pregnant and that the professor is the father of the child. Um, and he had been having sex with her, um, seemingly for, for some period of time. Um, and then the, the soul, uh, meaning the sheet, it comes and it goes from the book. So sometimes she sees it behind Bettina, sometimes she doesn't. Um, and that was the thing that kind of signaled to me that maybe it's not actually real. Um, and, but yeah. yeah. So that, 
that was one piece. Um, and then there's lots of angels and fairies uh, that populate her paintings. Um, and I thought it was really interesting yeah. that the um, that the world that she paints is so magical, and then the world that she exists in is so disgusting. Yeah, and she talks about at some point, like the the paintings. There's like there's like whispers and voices and things like inside of her that she needs to get to get outside of her, um, and that's what what the paintings are. Um, it's like her way of getting. I think she says whispers and voices or something like, uh, yeah, out of her. And what, like, the contrast you just made between, like, the beauty of her paintings and the ugliness of her world, the fact that, like, the paintings originate inside of her, these voices inside of her, it suggests that there's, like, something beautiful inside of Yuna. Um, and, but the only way it seems to manifest is through these paintings. Um, <laughs> Based on like, her doesn't... inner dialogue, yes. Her inner dialogue is not yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I the, early on the description of the soul, like that happens in one of the first chapters, and it was one of the things that I found like uh, immediately compelling yeah. about the book. Um, but then I just couldn't make sense of it honestly. Like I did, I didn't like it carries on throughout the book. Like she mentions the soul again, but it doesn't feel like an integral part. Like, I just can't see how it fits into everything. Um, maybe I didn't read it closely enough or I'm dense or something, but I, I was like, I'm very interested in this conception of the soul. And then by the end of the book, I feel like I still didn't have like an understanding of what this conception of the soul meant or was. Yeah, there was like one, um, so the professor at some point kind of later on, um, he says during one of the many funerals, um, sorrows break the soul um, and it causes unit yeah. to realize, oh, a soul can be broken. And so she envisions her like inner sheet um, and she, she thinks of it as like, oh, uh, well, if it's starched, then maybe it can be broken that way. Um, but she doesn't, it, the, the thought doesn't really come together. Um, and it doesn't build after that. It's, it's not like um, the sheet does like just appear and then disappear it, um, as opposed to like accumulating and there being more um, nuances or yeah. digging deeper in, in developing that concept further. It's like, that's, that's one moment where it develops a little bit more. Um, but then that's, that's kind mm -hmm. of it. Um, yeah. Other than it being streaked with men yeah. at one point, but yeah, again, it doesn't pull. Yeah. Pull together. And it, I don't, that, yeah, I, I feel like it's a little bit on me. Like, I feel like if it, and if it, if it all like came together neatly into some like, theory of the soul I'd, I'd think it was stupid or like you know like it was like things were too neat or something so I, I uh I'm I'm kind of glad it doesn't explain it but at the same time it kind of left me like I got excited and then it didn't follow through yeah um, it could have been a different thing like the, I, I think the problem that I had was that it continued to just be that one image or that one like um thing left over from her childhood that she had misunderstood that she carries with her as opposed to many things and continuing to see how that uh yeah difficulty grasping the world um it does kind of stop in childhood um there are other ways that she tries to grasp at the world um but it does seem like once she get latches on to like paintings and also the dictionary which we haven't talked about um but the dictionary plays a big role in the book. Um, <laughs> but when she grasps on to like her paintings in the dictionary, then it seems like she has a way of understanding the world or at least processing it. And there stops being this uh, confusion. Yeah, that's, 
a good point. Um, I just for the dictionary, as we mentioned, she struggles with language. She writes this, but she's throughout. She says she can't talk. She wishes she could talk, but like she can't think quick enough, basically, in order to to speak. And so she she just writes. And as she writes, she she reads the dictionary. And so there'll be words scattered throughout and she'll say for a while she'll say in parentheses dictionary to like let the reader know that she didn't know this word on her own she read it in the dictionary and, and put it in here and then eventually she learned the like item or edem i-d-e-m and she starts putting that um in in parentheses and then at the end she she says that she's sort of overcome her disability and so she doesn't need to sort of cite the dictionary anymore um, when she uses whatever whatever word. And that's another, we didn't mention that, but at the end of the book, when she's alienated from her family on her own, um, she's ostensibly like overcome by her, like she says at least, but she's overcome her, her, her disability. So she's living perhaps no longer as a like quote unquote freak. She's like, um, entered normal society through her sort of self-education with um, the dictionary and then also through her career of, of art. So she's a self-made woman uh, at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, also with the dictionary and the writing, she says throughout that she really struggles with punctuation. Mm -hmm. So I guess the the implication being she writes all of this and then kind of goes back and has to add punctuation afterwards yeah. um and it, it exhausts her there'll be like paragraphs will end with like i'm exhausted from this punctuation i need to take a nap um and she goes and then and then like she'll come back and the narrative will will pick up again um what did you make of this sort of struggle with punctuation and and also her use of the dictionary. But the, the punctuation thing I was I'm I'm curious about. Um, I I interpreted it slightly differently. Not so much that she wrote all of this and then had to go back and put in the periods, but um the the punctual she was doing the punctuation as she was going, um, and that uh slowed her down a lot. Cause like at a, it seemed like at a certain point that the words start to come fairly quickly. Um, but she has to really think about yeah, that's right. the, I, the, the periods. Um, and that makes way more, sense. but the thing, but the, I don't think it makes way more sense. I think they both make the same amount of sense, um, but, uh, uh, I, I, I thought of it as mostly humor. Um, like, I think this is a very funny book. Um, and the idea of someone, uh, writing, writing out all of this, um, but then being tired by the periods is kind of funny. Like I'll, I'll take oh, these periods, period, <laughs> these periods, period. I need to take a rest, period. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it kind of like shows sort of like, you know, the backward logic of of the book like the period and commas in grammar are rest yeah like they are breaks uh -huh. so to be like exhausted from like putting these pauses mm -hmm. in um it's like up is down all of a sudden or whatever that's kind of how i, I read it i think that, that that's that's true and that's how her whole life is you know she every everything for her that is intuitive is incredible like the paintings very difficult for anyone else but things that seem very like normal about the world are essentially incomprehensible to her she has to have them it spelled out in at times excruciating detail um and and that's hard it requires a lot of rest <laughs> another thing i just want to mention is that she vomits a lot and other people vomit a lot. Um, and yes. vomiting is like, it's almost like a positive thing sometimes. Yes. Like, like, oh, this is exciting. Let me go vomit real quick. Or yeah. Or any, anytime she has like a, yeah, it's, it, it could be positive or negative. Anytime she has like an extreme emotion. 
yeah. vomits. And it also noticed it, they note that she's really thin. Um, and I ju- it just, and there are many times in the book where she like, she doesn't eat, like she refuses food. And I was like, Oh my God, this poor person has like a terrible, like disordered <laughs> eating. <laughs> it's like they're vomiting. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really, I, I pretty much love it anytime there's vomit in an, in a book. Um, and so the frequency of the oh, was a, was a positive for me. <laughs> Even the professor vomits, like the <laughs> professor gets some news and he, he has to go vomit. It's just like anything, oh, that's true. <laughs> anything dramatic, just, uh, but, it results in vomit. But it's just when he's like starting to meet their family. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like a part of his acclimation to their world. And then he becomes fully integrated and he, there's no vomiting after that. Um, it's like a rite of passage or something to enter the family. Exactly. Lots of bottled fluid has to be felt. I mean, cause there's also, there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of blood. Um, it's a, yeah, yeah. And farting. Um, oh, yeah. but I think vomiting is the funniest. Yeah. So <laughs> agreed. I feel like a lot of the descriptions of this book and maybe the introduction are like, this is like nothing else. Like this is, this is a, a crazy book, depraved genius. There's nothing else like this. Yeah. Did it remind you of anything else you'd ever read? Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> uh me too but what did it remind oh you no of? you go first that's so exciting um it reminded me of another book about self-described freaks that i didn't love called geek love mm. um which have are you familiar with that one? i know i've never i've never read it but i've i've consciously avoided it um based on the just yeah the, uh the synopsis someone told me it was their favorite book and I'd never heard of it and then like a year later they mailed it to me and was like I can't believe you've never heard of this you have to read it and then like three years later I read it it's like this isn't for me (laughs) but but uh, it's like a circus family and the parents sort of like drink radiation or whatever to intentionally um give birth to these sort of circus freaks and there's a similar sort of animosity toward the entire world and and family members and and everything so um both the self-described freakishness and the sort of like uh hatred felt very much like geek love to me um so i i like this better than than i like geek love um there's also a recent like italian book i read called bug and I can't remember the author's name, um, but it's about uh, a deaf boy who ha- he's writing so so to get better at his language uh, as well. And so there's similarly sort of like odd phrasing and punctuation hmm. and things like that um, in it. So sometimes the sort of style reminded me of um, of bug and bug also like similarly like an angsty youth um he 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 gets like kicked out of school for biting his teacher and and stuff um and it's also a very silly book like there's uh there's like a sentient ai that kind of takes over and communicates with this uh deaf boy uh, I recommend it. It's a, it's a fun little book. Um, but the the narrator, you know, sort of struggle with language and use of the dictionary kind of reminded me of Bug. And then the third thing that it reminded me of was, and this is a little bit weird, but this Norwegian author who I've probably recommended to you in the past, um, Jan Fossa or John Fossey, uh, for our American listeners, um, he uh, he also writes about painters. He writes about painters a lot. One of which um, was 
mentally ill and institutionalized. And he also, he would hallucinate a sheet uh, in, and and he would need to get the sheet out of his head and his paintings were, were a way of doing that. So, um, and then I, in a different book, not about the mentally ill painter, but about a different painter, um, the the painter just has images like stuck inside of him and painting is the only way to get them out. And so the sort of sense like painting as exorcism uh, exists in, in both books, but also John Foss writes without much punctuation. And so Yuna's frustration with punctuation and early on, sometimes I think she would kind of run on in a way that isn't as extreme as Jan Fossa, but kind of evoked it for me. Uh, so I would say that this book is sort of a weird blend of those, those three books, but what did it remind you of? This is so fun um, because this book also reminded me of Melancholy by uh John Foss uh which is like the the sheet painter one that you talked about um but a less extreme version um of that because in uh Melancholy the the painter who's like struggling uh with mental health the the images that we see in the book which are what he sees in the world are it's so repetitive like his thoughts um are just constant it's like the same 15 thoughts over and over a slightly different like rotation like a slightly different like set of patterns but over and over and over those same images that he's he's confronting and with cousins it's much more varied than that it's much more like there are like probably like five images that reoccur or um not even images because yeah it's like the the dictionary thing or um compulsions there are like five compulsions that kind of recur um that that drive uh yuna's uh narration throughout um and the the worldview is also very bleak um and melancholy um you recommended that book to me like I don't know, however, how many years ago. And I like, I remember like I read the first 15 pages and I like, I put it down and I was like, I feel sick. This is horrible. Um, but I had to keep reading it. And then like, by the time I, I, and then I read most of it in like one sitting and then I got, and then I put it down again and I was like, I hate Tim. I can't believe he did this to me. I, I like I kept expecting it to change in some way. And then like the last um hundred pages, I was convinced that Fosse was like a genius and this is one of the best books um that had ever been written. Um and when I finished it, I literally threw the book across the room. I was like because <laughs> I I was like that was like really um I don't know about genius um but it was just like so incredibly uh compelling and I felt so moved by the end um and I kind of wanted cousins to like continue on with that like uh momentum but I think it actually probably or who knows it just was a different book but that kind of compulsive repetition narration um uh I saw in both and the sheet thing is very much so yeah there that's cool um, I will say I agree that that melancholy it's a bleak like you're you're kind of you're you're like really trapped in a suicidal mentally ill yes. person's brain. So it it is for sure um a bleak worldview. But I think it's like fundamentally different than cousins because I feel like there's like there's there's definitely beauty uh that exists in in the world of melancholy and the the painter is trying to access it and try like trying to like find it and express it and like exist in it but he's like un unable to um for whatever reason and in cousins uh it it doesn't feel like that same beauty exists in the world uh at least not to the same degree um like 
Yeah. I yeah. I think the, I mean, so one of the things that I think cousins is talking about that melancholy isn't talking about in part because, uh, what was the time? What's, when is melancholy set? It's like, most of it is set in the 19th century, early, like, early 19th century. Right. Like, uh, I mean, it was based on a real painter. Let me, let me look it up. Okay. Um, well, and I'll, while well, you do, I'll was, just say that one of the yeah. cousins is talking about is class. Um, and the, the beauty yeah. that is, that becomes accessible, that lives in Yuna, like you said, like through her, her paintings, like there is something, something beautiful in her that she brings out into the world. Um, it, she is able, she's able to sur eventually surround herself with, um, through money. Um, and she leaves this, um, bleak, uh, tragic, uh, world that her family uh, is destined to inhabit um, because she's because she she uh, gets into the school and then she uh, um, she because she uh, rises in class um, and and so I do there it is it is commenting on that um, I don't think that it's that this is a world uh, that la utterly lacks beauty um, but I think it's saying that like there is beauty everywhere, but in particular for people who are deprived and uh, live in, uh, this is like working class and like very, very low status, um, uh, low socioeconomic status um, people. Uh, it's, it's a really hard, awful life. Um, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, so melancholy is based on the life of Lars Hetzerweg, who's like an actual landscape painter, and he lived from 1830 to 1902. Okay. Um, to 1902. Okay. So the book would probably take place around the 1840s because he was a uh, teenager. Yeah. Uh, in the it's book. the onset um, of his illness. I, I think you're yeah so I, I was just thinking like this is a much more modern book and it's like commenting on a class society that feels contemporary whereas melancholy is not talking about the social classes that like we're familiar with today like it's just it feels really different yeah for sure um, um I can agree with that I do think melancholy does deal with class a little bit I mean he's like a farm boy who also gets a scholarship to an art school um in germany that he doesn't like the other kids make fun of him and stuff uh and then there's a sequel to melancholy melancholy 2 that's about his sister living on the farm and stuff um so but but i don't think but jan fossa is like is like almost to a fault sort of concerned with the like people's metaphysical existence more than their material existence. Um, so I think he's often aware of, I mean, all of his books are set on farms in Norway, basically, um, but he's concerned about their sort of spiritual well-being well um, more than, so it's just like, um, I think both of these books have that, but Cousin seems to want to say something about it, and John Foss doesn't seem interested. That's a that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, the uh, other the other two books that Cousins reminded me of um, are like the the narrator Yuna uh, reminded me a little bit of the narrator in uh, How to Start a Fire and Why by uh, Jesse Ball. Um, also like young angsty. Um, and having difficulty, like, sorting out the nonsense of the world, um, and, uh, and, and pretty disinterested in, in doing so, um, except on her own terms. Uh, and then, oh, the other one was, oh, uh, Otessa Mosvig's, um, most recent, uh, novel. I mean, all of them kind of have this, like, gross humor, um, like 
for lack of a of a of a better term, strong female protagonist. Uh, but uh, her more recent book, uh, except for uh, this most recent one, Lapvana, um, this book reminded me of of that um, mostly for how uh, deranged the characters uh, were. Um, and like the circumstances that they have to deal with, um, and, uh, the mean spirited world, uh, that they exist in. Uh, that, uh, is on my list to read. I haven't, I've been waiting for a paperback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's, it's, a, it's set in the middle ages, isn't it? It's set in like a, a, it's kind of this world, kind of not, but yeah, it's like middle ages. Okay. It's not a real. Okay. I don't think it's trying to be a real place or a real. Cool. Um, my as stated, my goal with these is like uh, over thirty minutes or about an hour, and we've we've reached that. So uh, I'm just what what else? Um, so we'll wrap up soon. But I'm gonna ask, what else are you reading, or would you recommend anything that you've read recently? Oh. Um, oh no, I've just been disappointed recent. I, I've ha I suffered a, a disappointment recently. And so it's kind of taking up most of my brain space. Um, oh, I really you can mention disappointing books. Oh, I'm not going to, that seems mean spirited. Uh, one of my favorite books that I I've read recently was Agatha of Little Neon. Uh, by Claire Luchette. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I'll look it up. I've never heard of it. It's about nuns. I like nuns. Oh, cool. Yeah, me too. Um, well, that is that is all. Um, I am with you with disappointing reading, so I've been having a lot of those. Hard. <laughs> you want them all to be good. Yeah, why isn't every book good? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Um, yeah, okay. Well, uh, thank, I'm going to hit stop recording in just one second. Thanks for doing this, Bella. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Bye.